All right, once again, good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. As I began seeking the Lord as to what He would have me to preach this morning, I was sort of torn. I didn't know if I should uh, continue the First Thessalonians sermon series that we're in, or maybe uh, preach one of the more traditional texts that you might think would be appropriate for Father's Day. But after much prayer and seeking the Lord, I felt like he wanted me to continue the First Thessalonians sermon series. So that's what we are going to do this morning. My intent is to move rather quickly, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later. But I want to review just a moment. And I know probably if you're thinking about the text we are going to be covering today, which will be First Thessalonians chapter 3, you might be wondering, can this have any application whatsoever to Father's Day? Short answer to that is yes, we'll cover that in a little bit more detail in just a moment, but I want to take just a moment quickly to review where we've been so far. First sermon covered chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and that particular text showed us what a model church looks like. Now, there were some takeaways from that sermon I've got listed on the screen right now. I am not going to read those, but hopefully you have, and hopefully that will refresh your memory about that particular sermon. What I am going to take just a moment and talk about is this second point of application from the first sermon. When persecution comes, view it through the lens of spending eternity with Christ. And you've heard me say in every one of these sermons that it is not, I'm I'm fully convinced it's not a question of will persecution come. Persecution's coming. And if we live long enough, our eyes are going to see it. Um, unless Jesus comes back first. But you know, as we go through that persecution when it does come, When we think about that in view of spending eternity with Christ, it causes it to look a little bit, uh, a little bit different. And I want to challenge you this, this particular topic, just as I said earlier, persecution that has presented itself in each and every sermon so far. And we're going to see that continue through today also. The second sermon in this series, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We saw a model for Christian leadership in that particular sermon. I want to talk about just one of the takeaways from that sermon real quick. I spent some time in that sermon asking, what's our motive? When we do things, what is our motive? It has to be all about Christ. It has to be for that. If it's anything else, we have a problem. And then the third sermon occurred almost a month ago, May 24th. And I want to talk just about one takeaway from that particular sermon to get us up to today. We talked about loving your neighbor as yourself by doing what is best for the whole instead of how you might personally feel. And I see we're having some trouble with the screen this morning. Do I need to try to reconnect, Miss Karen? Okay. All right, we're going to continue, but I want to, I want to encourage you to always love your neighbor as yourself by doing what is best for the whole instead of how you might personally feel. So that brings us back to today, where we are going to start. And I want to answer the question right now that I asked earlier, can this text have anything at all to do with Father's Day? And the answer to that is yes, it certainly can. Now, when you think about the birth of a child, that child, it's a miraculous thing when that child is born. But when you're holding that child in your arms for the first time, does that child already know how to walk? No, it doesn't, does it? 
Before that child can learn how to walk, it's got to first learn how to stand. And usually the parents have something to do with that in teaching the child to stand. And so again, we're going to be talking about taking a stand this morning, how the church is supposed to stand. But while we're talking about... Yes, what what do I need to do? Okay, we're okay? All right. Try reconnecting? All right. All right, y'all bear with us just a minute here. All right. We, we will try it again. So that brings us again to today. When we are thinking about the, the people that this text was written to, the people at the church in Thessalonica, we can easily say that Paul served as their spiritual dad. He served as their spiritual dad. Now, in the first two chapters, Paul has explained how the church was born and how it's nurtured. Now he is dealing with the next step in maturity, how the church is to stand. Now, when we think about a key word for the text we're in this morning. It's the word establish. And we see that present itself two times in this text in verse 2 and also verse 13. Verse 2, uh, we see there, and we sent, sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith. And then in verse 13, we see, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Now, when we think about a key thought this morning, we see it in verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Now, I want to ask us this morning, is that how we typically define living? Is that how we typically define living? If it's not, it needs to be. And if it's not, it certainly can be this morning. Now, this morning we're going to see from the text three things. Number one, Paul sent them a helper. Number two, Paul wrote them a letter. And number three, Paul prayed for them. Now, I mentioned earlier that I was going to try to move quickly this morning. A few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was... Uh, telling me in my quiet time one particular morning that on the Sundays that I preach, I'm supposed to try to limit the sermon to 20 minutes. And I'll tell you, that is a challenge. But what I have found out is that when the Lord says something, He means it. I'm not sure why He has told me that specifically, but I've got a 20-minute window that I'm going to try my best to be finished in, so we need you to pay attention and listen closely as we continue. So the first point, Paul sent them a helper. We see that in verses 1 through 5. Now, as this text begins, we see that Paul is not with them in Thessalonica anymore. Instead, he is in Athens. Now, keep in mind that Paul loved the believers in Thessalonica. And another thing that he knew is that those believers were under great stress. And he knew they were under great stress from at least two different sources. One was they were under great stress from the Roman authorities. 
And then they were also under great stress from the unbelieving Jews. Now, when we think about Paul, he knew some things about stress, didn't he, on a personal level. Now, he had personally experienced the hatred of the Jews in Philippi and also Thessalonica. How did it happen? It happened through riots, through accusations, and through arrest. Does any of that sound familiar this morning? Now, Paul was worried about his friends in Thessalonica. You might say, how worried was he? He was worried enough about them to the point of being willing to be left alone in Athens. So he sent Timothy to Thessalonica to check on them. Doesn't that sound just like something that a dad would do? Worried about his children. So he sends somebody to check on them in the best way that he can. And I want you to know this morning, if no matter how old you are this morning, if you are here in the sanctuary or if you're joining us online, no matter how old you are, if you still have your earthly parents with you, let me tell you something, they worry about you. They worry about you. The job of a parent never ends. It doesn't matter how old you get, how smart you think you become. Your parents still worry about you. And uh, Paul was worried about his spiritual children here at Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy to check on them. Now we see in verses 2 and 3 that Timothy was sent, and it tells us exactly why he was sent, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, maybe if we were going to just restate that this morning, we might say that he was being sent to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. Now, can't you see why that would be important, that somebody be sent to strengthen and encourage them in your faith? I don't know about you, but there are many days I need to be personally strengthened in my faith. There are many days that I need to be encouraged in my faith. When you look at their world at that time, what the Thessalonians were experiencing right then, they would have said their world was hostile. Look at ours today. Our world is hostile. You need to be around some people who have the ability to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And if you don't have any of those people in your circle... You need to expand your circle. It's important to have somebody close to you in your immediate circle of friends who has the ability to both strengthen and encourage you in your faith because it's needed. Why is it needed? Because the enemy is always at work. The enemy is always at work, and we've got to remember that. Look at verses 4 and 5. We see here at the end, Paul specifically mentions that he was afraid that the tempter had tempted them and their labor would be in vain. And folks, we've got to always remember that our enemy is at work. He is at work. He's always at work. He wants to pull you off course. That is what he does. And I've I've had some people tell me over the course of my lifetime You know, the enemy doesn't bother me that much. I'm going to tell you, that's a scary thought. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't find yourself pretty often in an attack with the enemy, folks, I'm going to tell you, it's nothing to brag about. It's something you should be concerned about. 
If you do not find yourself being tempted by the enemy, if you do not find yourself being attacked by the enemy pretty often, it's because he doesn't see you as a threat. You better check your spiritual pulse. But Paul was worried that they were going to be tempted and our labor would be in vain. I wonder, do you ever feel like that personally? Do you ever feel like that maybe your labor might be in vain? I'm going to tell you, sometimes I do. Sometimes I get so disgusted with social media. And honestly, if it were not for the very fact that my personal Facebook account is tied to the church's website, I'd probably go away from Facebook and never come back. But if I go away from Facebook, website doesn't work. So I've got to stay on it. Maybe, maybe the Lord is teaching me patience through that. But I say all that to say this. So many times I see things on Facebook that disgust me. I see people that call themselves a Christian that like things. That it's not Christian at all. How does that look? How does that look to an unbeliever who is watching? I see people hide behind a keyboard, hide behind a monitor, hide behind their phone, and say things to people that don't distribute any attribute of the fruit of the Spirit at all. Yet they call themselves a Christian. How's that look on us? How does that look? On anybody who calls himself a Christian, we've got to be careful because, folks, what's happening, and so many people don't realize it, is witnesses, Christian witnesses, are being destroyed on, on social media. We've got to be careful about that. We have got to be so very careful about that. And I want to remind you again, persecution is coming One of the things that I see on Facebook is just like this shift of morals. People who 20 years ago would have said certain things were wrong. Now they're celebrating certain things that the Bible calls an abomination. They are celebrating those things publicly in social media. And it sort of makes me wonder what are those same people going to do when persecution actually comes? I suspect I know what they're going to do. I suspect they will abandon ship quickly. And they will deny, just like Peter, that they've ever known Jesus Christ. How will we stand, church? How will we stand? Will we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or or will we drift away like an unbeliever? We see in verses 6-8, through That Paul sent them a letter. First of all, Paul has received a report from Timothy. And that report contained some good news. And that good news was of their faith and love. Of their faith and love. And look at verses 7 and 8. For this reason, brothers, in our distress and affliction, again, two things that are associated with persecution, we have been comforted about you through your Faith, for now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For now we live, if you are standing fast 
in the Lord. And then we see in verses 9 through 13 that Paul prayed for them. And you know, the scripture tells us right here just exactly how he prayed most earnestly. Night and day. It's pretty seriously, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that I have ever prayed night and day for anyone or anything. Maybe you have. I'm not sure that I have. I don't remember it if I have. I want to. I hope you desire to do that same thing. So many times I wonder when people tell others, I'm going to pray for you. Do we? Do we pray? And if we do, how seriously are we praying? When we tell somebody we're going to pray for them, that is serious business. It is very serious business. And I hope those prayers are being lifted just as they are uh, represented that they are. But we see Paul pray for some specific things here. First of all, he prays that we may see you face to face. Now, for those of y'all who know some things about Paul, did this happen? Did he see the people at this church again? I don't think so. I don't think he saw them again, but he was praying. He was praying earnestly that he would be able to see them again face to face. All our prayers are not answered like we want them to be, folks. If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know that. He sees our lives from a different vantage point. He knows what we need way better than we do. But that should not stop us from praying in accordance with His will. And look how He was praying. He was praying that they would be supplied what was lacking in their faith. Another way of saying that is that their faith would mature. That they would become spiritually mature believers. Do, do we pray for others like that? Do we pray for others in the church like that? That they would become spiritually mature. And then, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I hope we pray for others as a church just like this. So just a couple or three points of applications this morning about how you can apply this text to your life. Number one, we should let others know that we care about their faith and their growth. It should be evident People shouldn't have to wonder if we're interested in them or not. Folks, it should not be awkward to have a conversation with somebody and say, how are you doing spiritually? And if that suddenly becomes awkward, there's probably a problem being revealed right before your very eyes. We've got to be concerned about people's faith and their spiritual growth. Number two, prayer for one another's spiritual needs should come before concern for the physical aspects of life. And then our Christian relationships will be characterized by love and care for the good of others. One of my friends, Brother Barry Fields, posted on his Facebook page this week this quote, The people God most uses walk with a limp, not a strut. So I wonder, as people are observing us, as people are observing our walk, and you better believe they are, people watch how we interact 
every place we go. They know if you, most of the time, they know if you profess to be a Christian or not. What are they seeing? Are they seeing somebody that is walking around strutting? Or are they seeing somebody that walks with a limp? You'll be more effective. We will all be more effective if we walk with a limp. In the few seconds that I've got left here in this 20 minutes, I don't ever intend to close a sermon without giving an invitation to accept Jesus Christ. Because, you know, I, I know many of you, I don't know all of you, and I would be afraid to say that everybody in this, in this building is going to heaven if they were die, to die today. But you know, you know the answer to that question. It's not for me to say, but you know. And I want you to know this morning that there is a man named Jesus Christ who loved you so much that he was willing to die on the old rugged cross for you. He lived a perfect life, one that was without any type of sin whatsoever. He loved you so much he was willing to lay down his life and to be crucified for you. But the great news is he did not stay dead. He was put in the grave and he rose three days later. And that's why we celebrate Easter. And then you've got to be willing to believe that all the things in the Bible about Jesus are true. That he, that he loved you so much that he died for you. That his life contained no sin. That he truly died and that he was buried and he rose three days later. You've got to be willing to believe that. And then... Possibly the hardest thing to do to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got to be able to confess your sins. You've got to be willing to repent, truly repent of those sins and turn. Being a Christian does not involve a life of habitual sin. If, if you're comfortable doing, continuing to do something that you know is sin, that's a problem. And Jesus is not happy with that. Now, do we all sin from time to time? Yes, we do. We do. The enemy's always at work. But we will know it just the moment that we've sinned, and it won't be a comfortable thing to us. It won't be. We will want forgiveness of that. And Jesus is ready to forgive you. So I want you to know this morning, if you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you today. I'd ask you to come forward during the invitation if you're comfortable with that. If not, I'll be glad to talk to you afterwards. There's other people here that would love to talk with you. If you are joining us online this morning and you are not certain of where you will spend your eternity, you can receive Jesus right now in your living room where you are. I would encourage you to reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, I thank you just for the example that we see in your word from Paul. Thank you just for his example of serving as a spiritual parent to this, these young believers at this church. Father, I, I pray that we will follow his example. Lord, I pray that we, we as believers will be motivated to pour ourselves into the lives of new Christians and also into the lives of unbelievers. Father, I pray that um, 
that you are working in the hearts and lives of people right now, whether they're here in the sanctuary or whether they are watching online or listening on the radio this morning. Lord, I pray for the people who don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that your convicting power will fall upon them right now. Lord, I pray that this will be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that now is the appointed time for them. Father, for people who have heard this message this morning and they know they're not walking where they need to walk, Lord, I pray that this will be a day of commitment for them as well. Father, I pray that you will simply move and do great and mighty things, and I pray that you will be glorified both today and forevermore. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.